grab your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Psalm 116. We're finishing up week three of our uh, series here called Remaining, or uh, not Remaining, Returning to Rest. The sermon this week is called Remaining uh, in Rest, which is what you should never do is have sermon titles that are so closely to the series title. You're just, you're going to get all messed up. Psalm 116, if you have a device, that's great. You can go to the ESV version. That's what we're going to be reading through this morning. So far, uh, if you've been with us or if you haven't, we've seen how the psalmist, the writer of this psalm, who people think are David, how he experiences life like we do. It's important for us to understand that the biblical writers experience life the way we do. Ups and downs, right? Constant tensions. Trusting God one second, doubting him the next. But a pattern also emerges here in this particular psalm uh, in how the psalmist expresses himself. We've seen this. He expresses his love, his prayers, and his praise to the Lord while acknowledging, as we saw last week, that anxiety is running high and people have treated him horribly. And yet while all of these realities swirl around him, his honesty before the Lord shows us that God doesn't reject our reality, but he pulls us even closer to himself in these times. One of the other practices we read from the psalmist is that he speaks truth to himself. Do you ever do that? Do you ever say, hey self, let me talk to you right now because there's all these other voices talking to me. Every time I'm clicking on something, that's a voice talking to me. Every time I turn on the TV and I listen to some news channel or some talk show, or I turn on the radio and I'm listening to a, or I'm listening to a podcast, there's somebody talking in my ear. Maybe we should talk to ourselves. Maybe we should speak truth back to us sometimes. We see this in scripture. Look what it says in verse seven, which, is, which kind of gives us the foundation for this series. The psalmist says, Return, O my soul, to your rest. He's speaking to himself. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. And so really at the end of the day, what we're trying to do in this series is encouraging us together to be that voice that speaks truth back to us to war against all the other voices that are just constantly in our ear, that are making us think things that aren't true about God and about ourselves, right? Now, sometimes it's easier to get somewhere than it is to stay there, right? It's kind of like vacation. We can get to a vacation destination, but man, do you ever find that sometimes it's just super hard to relax once you get there? I mean, all the pieces are there, right? You got the pool, you got the, the ocean, you got some good food, no responsibilities, screaming kids, and yet, weirdly, it's hard to unwind, right? I mean, I know, I'm, I'm getting into other things right there, right? But then there's usually this moment where everything begins to calm down. The kids have, like, drawn up a peace treaty amongst themselves to stop bothering you. And then you have to pack up and leave and get back to the grind. And we wish we could remain in that place. We finally found that center of rest, and we'd love to remain there, but we can't because life and responsibilities are calling. And we have to get back on the treadmill of life. We have to begin our daily routines once again. But what if God is not actually 
calling you to a vacation to rest, which by the way is a good thing, but a vocation of rest. What if the whole idea isn't just to try to find a moment to get away from it all, shut everything down and drown out the noise? Again, good thing to do. But to actually have a life that is characterized by a deeper internal rest so that regardless of what we're facing, regardless of how often we can get out and take a vacation, which isn't often, there's something else working and stirring inside of us that leads us to a particular kind of like inner posture of the soul? What if this is what God is kind of driving at all through scripture? Well, by reading Psalm 116, we kind of see that he's calling us to a particular kind of rest that he's already provided for us. And he's done it through the redemption of our souls. Even though we live in a world that is warring against our souls and tempting us toward unrestful remedies, right? Does that make sense when I say unrestful remedies? Going after things, calling things upon us, diving into various activities and thoughts and mentalities and events and routines that maybe in and of themselves aren't bad, but they cannot be responsible for providing us with the rest that we long for and we're only getting a tip and a piece of through those things. Does that make sense? Let's read how Psalm 116 finishes this morning. Let's be encouraged to respond more actively, if we can, to God's rest as we understand the tendency of our own hearts to pursue those unrestful remedies because you know what? I'm just tired of being tired. Do you feel that way? I feel that way. I'm tired of being tired. I'm tired of naively looking to exhausting, unrestful, and fake spiritual remedies. Man, I'm just sick to death of that. And I'm grieved that we do that. That's why this psalm it's so important to us. Let's pick up Psalm 116. I'm going to read the whole thing. We're going to look at verses uh, 12 through 19, but let me read the whole thing so we can get some context. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I call on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, and I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all the people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O oh Lord, I am your servant. 
I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You've loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people and in the courts of the house of the Lord in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Well, this is the word of the Lord. So this is what we're going to understand this morning is that to remain in God's rest is to stubbornly come back to a place of helplessness, hopefulness, willingness, and thankfulness. First thing we see when we look at verses 12 through 14 is we see a helplessness. The psalmist says, what do I have to give back to the Lord? What do I have? What shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits, for everything that he gives me? What do I have to give back to the Lord? It's like when your child gives you a birthday present, right? It's cute. It's touching. But it's not typically anything you actually need, right? I mean, our kids can't really give us anything that's going to match what we provide for them, right? And if they do, they're going to have to use our money to do it anyway. What we really desire from them is what? Is their heart. We want their love, right? We want their gratitude. That's what makes you treasure that homemade birthday card with the illegible like crayon drawings on the inside, right? They're helpless to do anything else, but that's okay because there's nothing else you really want them to do. The psalmist puts himself in that same place, that same childlike place of helplessness before the Lord. What can I give you to match what you've given me? It's all yours anyway. The Apostle Paul, if you remember, when he spoke to the men in Athens in Acts 17, he said that God is not not served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So if we are helpless to give God anything that he needs, what what do we do? What do we do? The psalmist tells us what, what he does. He remembers his salvation out loud. He remembers his salvation. I will lift up the cup of salvation, he says. He prays in his name. He calls on the name of the Lord. He lives out those truths and his faith before him and with his people. He goes back to this idea that we hit in week one, which is love, prayer, and praise. What we do is we do what someone who has hope beyond this world does. That should look like something, right? Like if we have this hope, that that should cause a particular kind of response. That should look like a particular kind of thing. What do we do? What do we render to the Lord for all of his benefits? Well, we reacquaint ourselves with the reassurances of God. See, when we put ourselves in a place of helplessness before God, it leads us to the place of hopefulness in his son, Jesus Christ. That's what's happening right there. 
And by the way, helplessness, it's not a recipe for laziness, right? It's a reminder that you are in a place to receive the blessings God has for you in Jesus. And you get to respond to him and others with this burden lightning revelation. Does that make sense? But man, it's hard to be, it's hard, it's hard to be helpless before the Lord. Like that's not my sweetest spot. It's just to go before the Lord in helplessness, to be in such a, a vulnerable place before him, to say things to him that, yeah, I know he knows, but I have to recognize those things in myself as I'm bringing them before him, right? And that's really hard for me to do that, to be like a child who just comes unencumbered before their parent and just freaks out. I need this and you're going to know it. I want this and you're going to know it. A child comes before their parents helpless because they are. You notice like most little kids, they, they don't struggle with being helpless. They just tell you what they need. And then as we get older, we grow in our self-sufficiency, which by the way, it's called responsibility. It's a good thing. But before the Lord, Scripture talks about coming before him like a child because we need to remember who he is so that we don't drift and fall back into the weight of our anxieties that many times are self-imposed. We also learn that they're imposed on us as well. So what does a heart that remains in rest actually look like? Well, the psalmist talks about being helpless before the Lord. He also talks about being hopeful in verse 15. He says this really interesting verse, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. You know what that means? You know why that's hopeful? It's because the Lord doesn't take your suffering and your stuff lightly. He doesn't take your suffering lightly. He is the one who created your life. He is the one who gives it value. He is the one who grieves the loss of it more deeply than we have the capacity to imagine. Remember in John 11, when Jesus wept over the death of his friend, Lazarus. Now, he wasn't just sad because his friend had passed. In fact, he knew Lazarus was going to be raised back to life. So, why the tears, Jesus? Why was Jesus grieving? Why was the death of Lazarus, why was it precious in his sight? Because more than anything else, he hates death. He hates the death that comes as the result of our fallenness and our sin. That's what is so grieving to him. That's why the death of those that he has called to himself, his saints, that's why it's precious to him right? It's antithetical to who he is. See, it's our sin that causes us to devalue life, to devalue beauty, to devalue creation, all that God has created. Yet even, interestingly enough, in our devaluing of much of it, we recognize there's an intrinsic value to life. So what a hopeful thing to remember that our life and death 
on this earth is precious and of utmost value to God. Like, he is not in heaven saying, it's all going to burn, so as soon as you can make it up here, sweet. That's not the character of God, right? That couldn't be less characteristic of God's heart in care for you. Think of it like this. God has never said, whatever. Isn't that amazing to think about? Like, I say that at least like 30 times a day, whatever. It is what it is. Man, you guys need to pray for the holiness of your pastor. God has never said, whatever. That's a posture of the human heart that he doesn't share with us. And you know, your whatevers, my whatevers, you know what they really are? They're a defense mechanism against our lack of control and the fear that comes along with that lack. But God, who has never lacked control, still weeps when our fragile bodies succumb to the physical effects of our fallen nature. That should fill us with a particular kind of security, right? That our life and death is in his hands. It's a sacred thing to us how much more the Lord. Your life and death is precious to God. Just like the life and death of your loved ones are precious to you. So we remain in rest by letting this comfort us, by reminding us that no part of our life is arbitrary to God. You can be in a place of helplessness before God because placing your hopefulness in him is still your most secure place ever. David wrote in Psalm 31, he said, my times are in your hand. Like when I'm holding something in my hand, when I have something in my grip, it, it's not contained anywhere else. When I have that thing in my hand and I'm holding onto it, you can't find it anywhere else. It's hidden in my grip. Now, unfortunately, I, I drop things. That's the difference between me and the Lord, that he doesn't lose anything. He doesn't drop anything. And this helplessness, this hopefulness, it leads us to willingness. Look at what he says in 16. He says, oh, Lord, I am your servant. You have loosed my bonds. Remember the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, when the Lord came before him and he said, here I am, Lord. I'm here. He said, send me. The Christian life is this. We just sang about it a minute ago. We are freed from enslavement to sin to become slaves to righteousness. You notice nowhere it doesn't say we aren't slaves. It just says what and who are you enslaved to? Why is that? Because we're worshipers. Because we worship something all the time by default. And what happens when we are saved is that our hearts are changed from serving our desires to serving the desires of King Jesus. But King Jesus tells us that when we serve his desires instead of our own, we actually become free. It's the strangest thing. Why? Well, because his yoke is easy. 
because his burden is light. You have loosed my bonds, the psalmist writes. I am not enslaved or enchained to the things that would enslave or chain me had I not had a relationship with you, had I not been delivered from death by you. Do you see how monumental that is? When I say to God, I am your servant, what I'm saying is this, what you're saying is this, you're saying my life is in your hands. I am free now to live for the building of your kingdom rather than my pitiful empire that will inevitably end in ruin. You're saying my life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. I am willing to stop letting other pursuits be what I look to for rest and reassurance. How did I get to this place? It's like the old hymn goes. My chains are gone. I've been set free. I've been loosed from those chains by the un bounded power of God through Jesus Christ. And my heart is so changed that I'm willing to serve the one who served me by dying for me and saving me. You have a life now that screams, whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ, like Paul said in Philippians 3. A willingness to serve Jesus to understand our place as his servants, to understand our place as free people who are no longer slaves to all those desires that flip on us every time. But we're free now to be slaves to his righteousness and to receive that grace and mercy, to become characteristic of that grace and mercy that is like him. This is how our souls remain in rest. Because to serve our own desires is slavery. Man. And you guys can all bear witness to that, man. You just can. And if I had you come up here in terror, because I had you come up here, and you shared about your own desires and your pursuits of your own desires, you know what we're going to hear? We're going to hear... One story for every man and woman in here about how your desires ended up turning on you. How the thing you thought was going to give you life and some measure of joy and happiness, you're going to say, it kind of did, or it really did, and at some point, it ended. One for one, that's everybody's story here. Until God reversed the curse of death and our desires are now changing. They're now changing. The final thing is thankfulness. This is how our hearts will remain in rest. Look what he says in 17. I will offer you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. Thankfulness is, it's almost like the oil that we have to put, like the engine oil that we put in our cars if you can think of it like that. It's interesting that a car can still, and it can still run well without a ton of things working on it, right? Like the windows can be all jacked up, but it's still gonna run, right? Like all the upholstery can be all ripped up and not, you know, it'll still run. The tires can even lose a lot of their tread. It's still gonna run. But if there's not oil in the engine, what happens? It seizes up. 
Thankfulness is like engine oil for your soul. It keeps all of the other areas of your life in perspective. The psalmist makes thankfulness an action step in his life before the Lord. I don't know that we think of it like that. Do you ever, do you ever think of it as something that you need to be intentional about? Would it ever be something that you wrote down on your daily planner? Be thankful today. We are so prone to complaining, to losing perspective, to living forgetful lives where we think we are a planet that the entire universe revolves around. And if any of those other planets fall out of orbit, we feel like our universe is crumbling. How do we fight against that tendency? Well, I'll tell you what I try to do. I try to wrestle control. That doesn't work out very good because I don't really have any control over, over much. I have some self-control, but in terms of the, the events and the movements of all you and the universe, that's called zero control, right? So we don't try to wrestle control. We don't try a new workout program or scheme. Again, not a bad thing. We don't find new friends. Maybe not a bad thing. We don't get a new church. Always a bad thing. I'm kidding. We don't walk away from the means that God has given to us for our sanctification, right? Those are some of our first steps that we take when things are feeling dicey. But that's not what the psalmist is saying he's, he's doing here. So we stop and we look around and we let our hearts be taken back anew in thankfulness to God. We look at the miracle of Christ's salvation anew. We form a new lifestyle that moves us from consumers to being consumed by God's overwhelming grace to us. Psalm 50, 23 says, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Remember the Israelites? We talked about them in week one who didn't enter God's rest, didn't enter the promised land. Well, they were marked by a couple of things. They were marked by disobedience. They were marked by idolatry. They served other gods. And they were actually marked by complaining. They had such short memories. When you read the book of Exodus and you read how quickly the Israels were delivered from their dilemmas and how quickly they went to Moses and they said, man, it's been three days, we don't have any water. Are you kidding me? And we see ourselves in this. We see ourselves as having short memories. Man, I'm so tired of having a memory that ends the minute something challenging arises. Aren't you tired of that? I'm ashamed that even though I don't say it out loud, my head is shouting, what have you done for me lately, Lord? For us to be a church that orders its way rightly, we have to make Thanksgiving more than just a holiday we celebrate every November. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3. Look what the Apostle Paul instructs the church in terms of how thankfulness is supposed to be embodied. Colossians 3. I'm going to read verse 12. It says, put on then God's chosen one, 
holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That's what we're talking about. To which indeed you were called in one body. You were called to peace. And not just a peace that the world offers, but the peace of Christ to be what rules in your hearts. And then it says at the end of verse 15, and be thankful. In other words, how is that peace supposed to remain ruling in your hearts? He tells us. He says, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Don't just hear these words, walk out the doors of the warehouse this morning and continue just living exactly as if this was just a box to be checked. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. Stay connected, stay close. In all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This really mimics what the psalmist here was putting into practice years and years and years earlier. So how do we grow in this tension-filled life? Man, where anxiety, horrible people, and events outside of our control are constantly calling me and calling you to make everything about ourselves and try to convince me that God is passive, he's uninterested, he's arbitrary, he's not very real, he's essentially dead. Well, we have some patterns here that the psalmist gives us that we can go back to about our helplessness and our hopefulness and our willingness and our thankfulness, these things that as God sanctifies us, become more characteristic of who we are. What these four movements ultimately lead us to is a fear of the Lord, a fear of the Lord, a newfound awe and reverence for all that God is and how he cares for our souls because our troubles are no trouble for him. We went uh, to Niagara Falls last summer, last August, and it's kind of an overwhelming experience, right? You, you got the, you're standing right on the edge, looking at the falls, and it, you're experiencing the power, the sound, just kind of the spectacle of it. It's kind of all-encompassing. You imagine what it would be like if you fell in and you were consumed by the falls. You feel very small at that particular moment. But imagine if you didn't. Imagine if you had a bottle of water in your hands and the only thing you were worried about at that moment was whether you were going to have enough water to last through the day. But you're at Niagara Falls, water is the least of your worries. Right? But it's also the greatest of your worries if you ignore its power. 
See, I think that we lack rest because we're like a person standing at Niagara Falls worried about our bottles of water. Does that make sense? We forget who surrounds us. We forget who created us. We forget who called the existence of the world into being by the word of his mouth. Remaining in rest is opening your eyes to this glory of this God who surrounds you. And remembering that in all of his power and majesty and depth, he cares more deeply about you and your bottle of water than you can possibly fathom. He created the falls of Niagara and yet you are of more valuable to him than all the water in the world. Remember that today. Remember his great love for you today so that you remain in his rest tomorrow. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for the rest that you've provided to us through Jesus Christ. I pray that we would embrace it anew. I pray that you would give us minds that would not forget the teaching of your word so quickly, or that you would give us a mindfulness for these words of power and truth. The only words that are fitting and able to change our trajectory. So let us, become, let us come before you today in, in helplessness. Help us to remember that because of you we have hopefulness. Lord, let us be servants who carry a willingness in us to carry out your desires and your will. And Lord, let us be a church that is characteristic of thankfulness. Lord, help all of these things to change us. Help our gaze to be turned back to God, his power, his majesty, his beauty, his glory, his care for his creation. But I, pre I pray we could be a church that embodies these things and then helps each other in our weaknesses and in our fragility and in our forgetfulnesses. So walk with us today, Lord, because you are worthy. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.